I'm Tamika Kasten-Miller, and this is Think Flow Grow Live. And um, I'm super excited today to be having this conversation um, with my my good friend Natalie, uh, who is the um, she is is actually has been doing a lot of work around. Um, discourse on race for many years. Um, Natalie is uh, also known as the civil right um, and in uh, always, always Natalie. Natalie is a, um, has been doing a lot of work in terms of coaching, not just entrepreneurial coaching, but also personal coaching, life coaching. And, um, and so, uh, she's just, um, she has been doing a, a lot of this work for a long time. So it's very awesome. I'm going to tell more about her just shortly. I do want to give just a little bit of background on myself and then where Natalie and I come together. So if you don't know about me, um, again, I'm Tamika Kastamiller. I'm the mind behind Ashe Yoga. Ashe Yoga and Wellness is a part of the Ranch Houston, which is um, a space in Houston, an intentional space in Houston that's dedicated to healing and sustainable living. Um, it's about connecting to your nature or connecting to nature to cultivate your, your nature. And, um, and the, the Ranch Houston is dedicated to providing workshops and opportunities to connect with other people, foster com uh, relationship, community, um, get your hands into soil, build in our garden, uh, eat natural food, and learn about sustainability, not only of our world, but also of our minds, bodies, and spirit. Um, Natalie and I met through yoga, and um, and she's one of my yoga students. And um, I usually say to my students that we're all students and teachers. And um, she certainly has helped to teach me things as well, because she actually sits on the um, on the other side of many political things. Um, we are. I'm a progressive. Natalie is a conservative, and we're both African American women who are creating change in the world. We just um, sometimes are doing that in different ways, but always through discourse. And so, actually, she and I started. Um, what is called uh, Conversations, Coffee, and Queening, which is a TV show that is all about talking about hard, hard topics um, with people who are not, who don't uh, think and, and do everything the same, but people kind of assume that we do because we're both black women. So we are dedicated to creating this discourse in the world, and that I think is a proper introduction for you, Natalie. Am I good on you? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I think people get the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more. There's so much more. If they all have right. questions, they can always Google and find yes. out all that they need to find out. Yes. So I wanted to talk today, of course, we are in a really difficult re week as, um, as the Black community is having a difficult week. Um, 2020 can't stop, won't stop. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, no. but the crazy thing is that this hasn't just been something that uh, I wish it was only relegated to 2020. You know what I'm saying? But it's not. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a very long history, long sustained history. Mm -hmm. I think, so, yeah, today nothing like, new. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I think it's going to be important today to kind of direct our conversation in a few ways. And one, we're just going to have a, 
uh, a, a conversation about how we're feeling about things in general. I want to talk about the uh, long-term effects and short-term effects of this. also want to give a historical perspective, per usual, and, uh, and then also uh, uh, temper all of this within yogic philosophy, because I'm not a, uh, a Freudian scholar, but, uh, but I am a, a yogic philosopher, and so I like to, and historians, so I'll bring that into that. And then we'll also talk about things that we need for people to stop doing and things that we need for people to start doing. So that's how we will frame the conversation. So Natalie is literally just on the hills from like doing her work. Well, meanwhile, I've been like simmering on this topic all day long. So, <laughs> so Natalie, can you just tell me like when you heard about um, George Floyd, first of all, did you watch the video and, and uh, did you, what did you, what were your thoughts, your first thoughts? So I did not, I didn't watch the video. I saw kind of just the, the pictures, right? The images that kind of emerged. Um, and the reason why I didn't watch the video is because it was very reminiscent to me emotionally. Um, if anybody has seen the documentary Fruitvale Station, if they haven't, they should. Yes. Um, but it's very reminiscent to the situation that went down um, in California there. And um, very rarely, like, there's only been a few... There's only been a few, I guess, episodes in my lifetime where you actually got to see somebody die, like not after the death and the body's covered or at the funeral or in the hospital, but like to actually see another human being take another human being's life and watch the life leave them. Mm -hmm. um, and that for me is a very difficult thing to process. Like I've been... Yeah. My headspace has been like, I'm getting emotional right there. My headspace yeah. is like just not solid around that. And so, um, so I did not watch the video because I have my, I've been crying enough. Um, and yeah. I would have lost it if I watched that. Like during the documentary and my husband knows I'm not like a super, um, it's probably the wrong words, but I'm not a super emotional human being. I mean, I feel them they're there. And then I kind of go to the logic side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and in Fruitvale station at the end, when the cops shot him and similarly, they just kind of stood around uh, like, mm, who cares? He's gasping for breath on the, we could call 911, but we're not going to. Um, I lost it in the movie theater, in a, in a chalk, in a fully packed movie theater. I sounded like a beached whale. I mean, mm -hmm. like it was the most horrible, ugly sounds I was making. And I could not calm down from that for about 30 minutes after the movie. So much so that when I first started hollering in the theater, my husband was like, babe, are you for real? Because he thought I was joking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I did not want to relive that for this. So I didn't watch it, um, but I'm equally as disturbed currently. And it just looking at the images of it. Yeah, I also didn't watch it for um, because, first of all, um, I believe that we don't have to continue traumatizing ourselves by watching um, public lynchings. Um, mm -hmm. I think we have a choice on that. And um, I think that we've evolved as the human race when public lynching stopped being a thing that people would all come out to watch. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and also, uh, much like the Sapruder tape, I don't need. I don't need that. I don't need a Sapruder tape to give me visible proof of um, of a man being killed um, because he was black. And the the mayor right. of Minneapolis has come out and said that if he was white, he would he would be alive right now. Yeah. Um, which is saying a lot, considering that the mayor is the head of 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 you know of the uh, essentially of of his ha- of the the force. Uh-huh. Um, I um I much like Fruitvale. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Fruitvale Station, um, uh, and you guys can talk about it in the in the comments. But essentially, yeah, there was a there was a man who was shot by the police, and like no one rendered aid. Um. He could have survived. I mean, Uh he could have survived. You know, we can always argue about, and we will not, like whether or not um, (laughs) someone uh, deserves to get shot or whatever. Um, Right. We're we're not going to have that argument because that's, that's, no. But, uh, but what we definitely know is that um, any human in any capacity that has the opportunity to help usually has some sort of human compunction to do so. And so to sit there and see the humanity of a person, like a person's own nature being um, so absconded by rage or, or, or obscured rather by rage and obscured by hatred or obscured by stress or whatever the, whatever the argument's going to be for how they felt. Uh, and w- watch that humanity absolutely not exist in that person for a second while they take the life of another person to me is absolutely something that is unconscionable. I can't, I can't even imagine um, not rendering aid, even if I were the person who fired the shot. Right. So, like, I, I wonder, and I, I don't carry an arm. Natalie is a card-carrying arm carrier. Arm bearer. Uh, yes, I am. And I, you know, one of the, I mean, I'm definitely a pacifist. She's, she's not. I am not. <laughs> For these very reasons, right? Ahmad yes. Marbury, if he had had a weapon on him that day when he was running, maybe quite possibly he could be alive. He would also probably be facing life in prison, but exactly. he would be alive. Exactly. Right. Um, but like, <clears throat> I, I always wonder, like, if I did accidentally, let's say I accidentally shot someone or let's say someone mm-hmm. broke into my house and I shot them. You know, I'm not going to sit there and watch them bleed out on my floor. I, I, you know, I would still. <sighs> but Tamika. But but that's because to to James Baldwin's point, right? You're not a monster. Yeah. Right. That I mean, like you are a to to his point some fifty plus years ago about how certain people see other people. Actually, they don't even see them as people, right? So it's how certain individuals see other living creatures. And are able to take their life without the blink of an eye or an afterthought about it, you are a moral monster at that point. Right. Yeah. So you're, it's not even like you're a human being. You're just a walking monster that's breathing oxygen among us. Yeah. And I think that there are those people and we know that they are mm-hmm. because one, you know, because one took someone out this week and three others stood by and watched. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, we, we could also argue who's the worst person in that scenario. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't think I n- know anybody. Um, and I know a lot of people. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. I know anybody who would watch someone's life be taken from them. So I just wonder what also is the echo chamber that person is living in that gives them the ability to sit there and watch that happen and for nothing to be done about it. So I I don't know that to be true necessarily, right? I don't know that I don't know anybody who could sit and watch somebody's life slip away. And I say that because I guarantee you that as this whole shenanigans plays out, there will be plenty of people who say, officer so-and-so, he was such a nice person. He always came to the ice cream shop and he bought the kids ice cream. Right? There's going to be people out there who who say that, right? So mm-hmm. the, the problem with the monster is, right? So the, um, you know, the Jeffrey Dahmers and the um, Ted the strangler dude in California or whatever, who was practically a congressman, um, <laughs> like they seem okay. Right. They, yeah. they do just the right amount to seem okay. But then when given the opportunity, right, their most deranged fantasies play out. So yeah. I don't know that to be true. I would like to believe that. Right. Yeah. But the fact, yeah. but the fact that there has been so little, um, I don't even need outrage, right? Like I don't, I don't need you to necessarily carry outrage. I'm not going to dictate what your emotions should be, mm-hmm. um, but I will dictate what your judgment should be on the situation, right? So there's been so little judgment on this police officer's behavior in my feed, and I know a lot of people, you know, like seven, eight, ten, twelve thousand people, right? So there's been so little, if any, um, judgment carried out against this police officer's behavior, I don't know, which is why I did the whole post about having allies. Cause there are people who I thought were my ally and their silence is deafening right now. Yeah. I think that people failed to realize that non-action is action. Um, yep. and non-speaking is speaking. And I think that people failed to realize as well that their friends who are hurting are, are watching so um, today in my world, uh, a girl that I know from high school um, created a post showing the looting in Minneapolis. And I immediately was, you know, like felt some sort of way about it. And so before I did anything, I went to her page to see if she'd also posted on, you know, on, on, the de- on this murder. And she said nothing before then. There, were, there was nothing about any of that. So her only post about the murder of this man was, was about Minneapolis looters and who of course all were like black and brown people who were angry. And so to me, I realized that this is a pattern that happens. This is a pattern where, you know, there's something that happens that is horrible. The whole communities of color experience a trauma together then the community that it actually affects experiences another trauma. So there's like layers to this, right? 
Right. And then there's, you know, all of the outrage that happens. There's the sadness that happens, of course, but there's the deafening silence, as you mentioned, that happens. And then like the next day or two days later, then they post about people being pissed off about it. You know, like they're the problem. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like you said nothing before on this. And now your whole commentary is about people's reactions to someone right. getting publicly lynched and, and, right. and, and trying to, to get people to explain why people react in this way. How about right. trying to get people to explain why police officers feel that they can just take people's lives without any accountability. And I'm sorry, but like being fired isn't accountability. No prison is accountability, you know, and, and being held up to the same standard to if, that was George Floyd with a person pulling a gun on someone else and taking someone else's life. There wouldn't five minutes wouldn't have passed before he would have been arrested and all of those things. So I just, I just, you know, I see all of this, this, uh, you know, all of these reactions that, that happen. And I think that people don't realize if you have a non reaction to the violence and then you have a reaction to the response to the violence, then you look like an asshole. Right. Like, like you, right. you and, and, and you, you probably are. So, you know, so like, I'm going to, you know, call you on it and then you're going, and then, and hopefully we have a, a conversation around it. Like today, you know, it didn't go well, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Like you are, your, your focus is on the wrong thing. Your focus right. is on a reaction to anger. Like people act angrily in lots of different ways. And well, and let's be clear, people, this whole thing with the looting and I'm by no means condoning the fact that you go and loot. Nobody things. is That's condoning not what I'm looting. Right. I just want to put, cause it's going to be somebody out there who's like, so yeah. Okay. So no, I'm not condoning you loot, but let's be clear. This is this is um, a group of people, a community um, that set out to protest and an action that took a member of their community mm-hmm. and they feel um, like they have no power, no voice and they aren't yeah. being seen. So right. what do people do when they feel like they have no power, no voice and they aren't being seen? They're going to do something to get Breaks your it. attention. They break right, they're gonna break stuff. It's like it's like a three year old, right? Like if mommy's yep. not paying attention to me, I'm gonna go over here and color on the wall. I bet you recognize me now, right? Yep. So, so yep. there's that, and on top of that, the United States is not. Um, this is not a novel idea of uh, no. looting. We loot after college teams lose games. Let's, so, yeah. so far and, less and important after, things. And, and after people NFL are in the streets, win games. And after correct. NFL teams win games, like you don't, it doesn't have to have to even be a loss. That's it correct. So, <laughs> and no one is posting stories about, oh my God, these animals are in the streets because the Patriots lost. Like no, <laughs> no one is saying that. Um, or so it's Sox won. Correct. So it's Billy won. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Right. And they burn stuff when Philly. They burn yeah, stuff. They're gonna burn oh, stuff. Oh yeah. Like turn over police cars. Yep. And yeah. Nobody, so I mean FYI, nobody got killed in that. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean like the the fact that this is a thing. Um and then the other thing that really bothers me because you know, I've just decided to start 
posting with very with either no commentary or very little commentary around um, just because I want Facebook to keep it in my memories. Um, and so when I posted this story, um, it was there's always the folks, at least the folks I know, um, who get on the thread and, you know, are like, yeah, this is really bad. But remember, black people kill more black people. And I'm like, <laughs> literally one more when, person. When I, more person. That, when I hear that, I actually, <laughs> I actually have to take a very, I do. A breath so I do. Deep that my neighbors feel that that being <laughs> created with that <laughs> because my thing is this: I, I uh, first of all, I'm sorry, but should never be in the same sentence. Period. Should not ever in all of life. Like uh, just in general, and um, I, I I just think the insensitivity is crazy. So I yeah. Um, I know that, um, so I was talking earlier with a friend and, and I was talking about like, why is this so, like for me, this death seems harder than, than once before. And mm-hmm. I, and I, and I think, uh, what, what, what it is for me is because I realized that like, we're all in this pause, but the pause doesn't pause racism. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. Um, No. So it is, it's like all of, all of these things are, are happening um, around us. We're like, hopefully we're becoming more of a community. Hopefully we're helping one another. Hopefully we are, you know, providing community where we can enlightenment where we can. And so I was telling her earlier that what what this reminds me or what this what this what this says to me is that um the 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 feeling of the pause i think for me was what felt nice but i also think it was a little uncomfortable because like this communal experience felt so different like it didn't feel like anything that i felt before being in true community with people around the world, like true trauma with people around the world, because usually that trauma is something that's specific to a particular community. Right. And, and, um, and so like for me, uh, the peace that I was hearing or experiencing was abnormal. And so like this, the calm or whatever was abnormal. It was like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so what Lenny, my wife said, um, as you know, she said, oh, this is how PTSD is seated. And, you know, you, you don't trust the peace anymore. Like you don't, you don't trust that, that peace is true peace. You, you begin to like, or else I won't say you, I, um, didn't feel that that piece was something that was going to last or that, that I could count on. And, um, and so it felt really awkward, but I didn't realize why it felt awkward until this happened. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. Like all the anger, all the outrage, all the ire, all the craziness, all the people doing what they do, being political, being hateful, violent. That's, 
that's what that's what this country does and that felt that feels that feels normal for me and i was like damn like as a black woman in america violence feels normal and peacetime doesn't right that's 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 kind of where we are right now it's where we've been it's where we've been it is. Irene just um, uh, mentioned, you know, 1992, you know, the same thing happened with Rodney King. And yeah, you know, Rodney King, you know, was um, was killed by officers. Um, if people don't remember. No. I bet that time. He wasn't killed. Oh, he that's just right. got the snot beat out of him. That's right. He got the crap beat out of him. That's yep. right. That is right. Because he only just recently died, right? Like a year or so ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He got the tar beat out of him by these four white cops and it was on video. Yep. And all the cops were acquitted. And so, you know, it's, I I think it's, uh, yeah, basically that's pretty much what happened. Um, but I think it's, a. um, I think it's a crisis of consciousness yeah. that we have, right? I think the problem, part of the problem, and don't, and don't get me wrong, I get it. I, I get I get the other side of the argument, right? Because it would be the equivalent of somebody telling me that Jesus killed people wrongfully, right? I'd be like, no, he didn't. It's impossible. He's Jesus. He don't do that, right? So if you're uh, Jesus- Are cops Jesus in this metaphor? Yes, it is for, to a lot of people, right? So it's the same reason why, it's the same reason why um, there was such vitriol around Kaepernick kneeling for, uh, you know, uh, with the flag and the national anthem and all this stuff. Right. And there are a lot of people out there who have elevated this country and um, all of the symbolism of the country. So that's the law enforcement aspect, the flag aspect, the songs that go along with it to a, to their God status. Right. Yeah. So um, and and they will say no that they haven't but in but the fact that they believe they are infallible in their actions the yeah. only infallible being i know was my creator yeah everything else uh has a fault so so that is so to try to reconcile that when that is your entire belief system and without that belief system you would not know what to do with yourself if you did not have that belief system is a difficult thing for Cause again, that's the, that's, that is, you know, that would be like telling me that is something horrible about my creator. Right. I'm going to be like, no. Um, and right. I can't even mentally yeah. process it. So a lot of these folks are in that position, how we break that. I don't know. Um, because again, you're talking about a religion now. It is a religion. And it's a, it's a, well, it's a cult. It's a, yes. it's a personality and it's a cult of nationalism. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it, and that cult has, has its leader and, mm-hmm. um, and that cult is super strong. And, you know, last week we were well, not last week, the last episode, we talked about cults and mm-hmm. all, all of the, all of the um, attributes and characteristics of a cult are definitely um, indicative of what we're seeing with the, the cult of racist in the United States and racism in America and specifically people who are, are Trump supporters. And um, I think that 
uh, of course, you know, and, and I, I think that what's going to end up happening is there'll be people who are like, well, this is a, tr- this is like, this is because of Trump and blah, 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 blah. And I think that at this point, we need to start putting the onus back on, uh, every single person who, you know, is posting, um, fuckery essentially about this situation. Um, because in, in a way, I think we've actually started to scapegoat Trump for other people's bad behaviors. Yes. Yeah. Is he a, is he a POS? Absolutely. Is he someone who I can't wait to go away? Absolutely. Um, and all of those things. But at the same time, he did not invent racism no. in America. No, he did not. He did not make your, your, your uncle or your neighbor or your father or your brother a racist. He, he simply, um, planted some, some soil Actually, he didn't even plant the damn soil. I don't even think he planted soil. He, I don't think he, he did anything. Soil. He just Yeah, mossed. I don't Yeah, I don't I don't on top of Yeah. I'm like I don't, I don't think the Yeah. There, the the water, the irrigation system was there. It just needed the trees. All all the vegetation was there. All people the have been harvesting. People have been harvesting from the racism field for a very long time, right? And, Who which farmer yes. happens to own the field is irrelevant, right? Yes. People have and been I, harvesting Irene, from that field for a very long time. Yes, Irene just put in our live um, our live community. Racism has always been here, but Trump enlightened the torch. And Irene, also feel free to hit that call button if you want to call in. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure, there the, you know there were there have been people who have been lighting the torch in 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 significant and insignificant ways in over and non overt ways. But for me, like, I think the thing that really irks me is the common person, the the everyday person who's just like chilling in their house, posting bullshit, um, and spreading it. And then, and then, um, and, and creating more, um, segregation of thought and, and, and enforcing a racist narrative, through a simple post or a simple forward or a simple this, that, or the other, and then have the nerve to not actually listen when uh, a person of color says, Hey, that shit was racist or that was not acceptable. Or I don't condone you know what I'm saying? So, um, so he, it's very, you know, very much this, um, this cult of personality in Trump that I think people really want to scapegoat. But the truth is, that that this that what is going on it, it's like any other cult you cannot convince me to go call jim jones jesus no like you, you still have to have somebody who's willing to buy what you're selling and right. so i think at some point we need to also just like take accountability for the things that we're selling and and uh, at any given time and so Um, and this has to, to also deal with like how we heal, I think also it has a lot to do with how we speak to our own communities about these things. And so, um, one thing that we, I was speaking about earlier was like, how do we, how do we speak truth to our own community? And then how do we speak truth to like, as a person of color, how do I speak truth to the communities that are doing harm? Right. And so. Like for me, speaking truth to my community looks like um, unhelpful conversations or conversations that just simply blame Republicans or blame Trump or blame 
white people, people or blame right or, right blame colonization like colonization as a historian it is extraordinarily important for me to, to speak to colonization colonial hangover and and all of those things and we're no longer in that we're we're in the hangover from it so we need to also <laughs> be speaking about what we're doing right now that perpetuates this thought that perpetuates these problems that because the truth is to the black community, the only folks holding us back right now is us in terms of actually like advancing certain things. When it comes to institutional racism, the way that we can change institutional racism is becoming a part of the institutions that have systemically been racist or historically been mm -hmm. racist. So becoming judges, governors, senators, to get in from the inside and to change that, change that, you know, the heads of, of police forces, sheriffs and crap like that, which is why people like um, Sheriff Acevedo or not Sheriff, Police Chief Acevedo is such a, uh, um, here in Houston, Texas. I, I love that he always speaks truth to, to, to bullshit. He's like, that, that was some racist ass cops and they, they killed that dude. And that's something that I would have never tolerated here in Houston, Texas. Now, whether or not he was just speaking to, for the, for politics or not. I was going to say he tolerated a whole bunch of other shenanigans. So, Well, what, whatever the case may be, uh, aside from this week, when he comes out and he denounces other police officers, those are his peers. And he's also a person of color speaking to his peers that are not people of color and, and whether or not like behind the scenes, I don't, I don't, I really don't care what he does behind the scenes because yeah. what the people of Minneapolis are hearing is a, is a, as a police chief of color denouncing other police. Now what we experience here in Houston can be totally different. And, um, as a person who's lived in some severely racist ass areas, um, I'll take Houston over most places any day in this, in this country. Um, <laughs> we also, have, we have another comment from Irene that is, isn't it ironic? 75 police officers is surrounding the man that killed George, but the man who would not take his knee off the neck of him, of George to allow him to breathe. And he's not locked up. I am livid. I'm trying to do my deep breaths, but I am livid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 crazy that people will like encircle this murderer um, be uh, under the auspices of of supporting blue, um, regardless. You know, mm -hmm. that's. But if we were to change the narrative, though, if we were to say, okay, this is a, a priest, you know, who abused the child, um, you know, people were all up in arms when other priests surrounded a priest and said well, we're going to protect him and we're going to move him because they themselves weren't Catholic or maybe they right. themselves were recovering. So they're like, nah, where they're like, that's bullshit. You know, this guy did absolutely the wrong thing. Like he needs to be this, that, and the other. I don't care if he's a priest and blah, blah, blah. But that's because they weren't Catholic. That's because they weren't Catholic. Correct. So, Correct, you but there, you, so they just, it's like easy. It's easy work to sit there and be able to say, this is wrong when you don't have to do the hard work of saying, oh, shit, I've supported that person. Well, or and I also, yeah, I also don't understand why people feel like they have to, because I think part of the problem is that if you're a white person, 
and for all the white people out there, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like if you're a white person, what must be going through your head is that it's almost like what, what black people feel, you know, like if I say something, then that makes me a part of the group, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. I've had a ton of conversations with, um, with various white folks on subjects that are kind of, kind of auxiliary to this. And their thing is that, yeah, but I don't want to be blamed. So if I say something, then people are going to blame me and be like, white people, white people, white people. Right. And so, and that might be the case. I'm not saying that it won't be the case, but to be, to be, you know, there's a whole book out there about white fragility and all this, right. To, to, to um, bury the wrongness and the judgment of the behavior because you're going to have to endure however many moments of discomfort um, is, is very telling. And it also speaks to the resiliency of Black people. Like I've heard a lot of people yeah. say that the reason why I don't say anything is because I just don't want, I don't want to have to go through it, Right. Um, and, and be aligned. And you saw it a lot in the sixties when there were white people who decided to help with the civil rights movement, whether it was like the freedom riders or or people helping Mm -hmm. people vote or whatever the case may be, right. They were recipients of just as much violence. Um, and they, yeah, I mean, they had the Klan riding on them too. Right. So, so most people don't want to go through that. Um, but, but when they don't have to, Choice. When they don't have to, right? Yeah. But then, but 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 then you, so you want to sit in silence, and then you also want to tell me not to say anything about it, yeah. um, exactly. because it makes you uncomfortable. Well, my whole life is uncomfortable. So now, yeah. what are we gonna do? Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, exactly. You're talking about five minutes of discomfort to my lifetime of discomfort. Thank you. Exactly. Like, welcome to what discomfort actually feels like. You know, I I um. Uh, this is, this is going to be hard to say because I have a feeling this person's going to listen to this podcast, but I, it needs to be said. So I, there was, um, taking this to the COVID environment, there was a, a a studio that opened and, um, when it, uh, you know, after everything was allowed to be open and the first day of opening that studio, um, someone called the, the marshal on that studio, which I, I think is kind of interesting anyway, like who know, like weird anyway, but someone mm-hmm. called the marshal on that studio and the marshal came in and checked out to make sure that the studio was doing, you know, what it was supposed to do. And then they, and then they left and, um, because the studio was, and so anyway, all, uh, people were super pissed off at the fact that the studio had a marshal called on it. And I was like, welcome to being black. (laughs) Right. Literally. Right. We can't barbecue. We can't run. We can't walk. We can't kneel. We can't sell cigarettes outside of a store. We can't do any of those things. Are you kidding me right now? You've had. And. And you. And you lived. And you will call the police because you think someone is about to enter the apartment complex or is in the, in the wrong gym or is sleeping on the couch in an Ivy league school that shouldn't be on the student couch at the Ivy league school, but you will not call the police when someone is actually 
you will video record someone killing somebody else. Yeah. You won't call the police though. You'll stand by yeah. and you'll watch them put a knee on somebody's neck or chase somebody down with a shotgun or an officer point blank shooting somebody running away from them. You won't bother with any of that, but let somebody barbecue in the park. You I, I think that like we're we're just so off on like what 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 gets to be accepted as as rage rage building. You know what I mean? Like right. uh, I just couldn't. I that for me, I was like, I'm not a, I'm not a good person to ally you right now because you are totally okay. <laughs> You're okay. You're alive, and you literally spent one day which is like every day for, for everyone else. Seriously, I think the only reason, I, I, I won't say I think, I know the only reason why I'm not pulled over more because, and I have and I have evidence because I used to get pulled over all the time for just being in a particular neighborhood. The only reason why I don't anymore is because I have DV plates. I have disabled veteran plates because my, my wife is a disabled veteran and also drives my car. Do you know how different that I have been treated since I've had DV plates? I remember (laughs) going to just a little bit of levity since we got a little heavy. I remember I was in freaking Kingwood, Texas, which is racist. God help. I was going to say, child, that North Houston, child, that North Houston is on it with the hood. Man, like the, the Klan is strong. The Klan is strong. Like they march out there openly they are happy to march i was put it up and everything by uh, a hairdresser i used to see out there i was i come off i was late to the appointment i was coming off of the highway at like 70 miles an hour there was a speed trap when it went down to 35 miles an hour and um and i got caught in it right and i i just remember um, I remember going, oh shit. Cause I also didn't have any of my tags. Like they were all expired. <laughs> I don't think I had my insurance card with me or something like, I don't remember, but there were like 4,000 things that were wrong that day. And I remember feeling super black when I got pulled over by the cops. Like I felt black. Okay. So the cop comes up as an old white man. I'm in Kingwood, Texas. The man is coming up. I got everything expired on my whole life, right? And I don't have all the things with me. And he's like, uh, you know, you were, you were, you're going quite fast, ma'am. And uh, and I was like, I was, I was late for an appointment, and I'm, I'm still late for it. And I'm, I know, I was, I was speeding. I, I, I did that. And so he was like, asked me for my license or whatever. He looked at my tags that are expired. He walks around my car, looks at my plates, and he comes back. He didn't even run my license. And he came back and he was like, all right, well, you get to your appointment safely and slow down. I was like, in what America am I living? Because any other time. And I wasn't looking cute. It wasn't my breast that got me out of it. <laughs> it was King. Well, you know, I'm gonna say this. So, my in general, my experience with police officers has been great, right? Like, because I, I, I have a lead foot, my regular cruising speed is 80 on the freeway. So, 
I get pulled over often um, or often enough. Um, my experience has, I've, I've usually not, I usually don't get a ticket. I admit to what I've done, whatever. And that does not discount what other people go through because so yeah. many people are like, uh, like there's this guy on Facebook who recorded his little traffic stop, this black guy who recorded his little traffic stop. And he's like, look, see if you're respectful, you make it home. And I'm like, that is by the grace of God you made it home. Yeah. There are a lot of people who did exactly what they were supposed to do. Philando Castile was like, hey, look, I, yes. I got a concealed carry license. My gun, that's what, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. If an officer stops you and you are a concealed carry handgun owner, you are supposed to let the officer know, yeah. I have a weapon in my vehicle. It is secured in whatever place you have it secured in. I am a concealed carry carrier. And I just wanted to alert you to that officer. How would you like me to proceed? Then the officer will yep. give you instructions. Philando yep. Castile, that didn't happen to. So just because you are gracious and um, obliging and all of this other stuff doesn't mean you get to still make it, it home. Mean it, is, it, doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. On, it depends on where on the hierarchy of presumed uh, worth you sit so like well and and it depends on the officer right because i you know it depends on the officer right so yeah plenty of racists out there but there's there's also there's also like a hierarchy of like okay well like black man potentially dangerous um could shoot me um right down here and then there's like black woman who's a little bit higher than that if she's really cute or fair then she gets to be higher (laughs) In that category. <laughs> and then there's like, and then there's like Latina, Latinas are super high, you know, and then there's like Asian men who are like the highest because they're probably <laughs> and like, so like there's like hierarchy of like, and their perceived threat or their perceived worth or value. And based on that is how the world perceives them. And subsequently how law enforcement treats them. There, the world does have a hierarchy to it. That is very true. Um, and 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 my whole kind of point is that you know that like just because I don't go through it, because a lot of people seem to think that if they didn't experience it, it couldn't have possibly happened. Um, yeah. But just no, because I don't go through my it, my black friends have never gone through that before. <laughs> thing is really annoying. I'm like, first of all. Like you have one black friend, and secondly, your weed dealer is not your black friend. Okay, <laughs> come on. Like let's just let's just cut the shit. Like let's just be serious. You work with is never going to tell you the truth about how they feel about you in this situation because they right. work with you. And I and that's another thing. So I just want to get to some of the things that we need to stop doing. Can we right. can we stop making assumptions? That just because we work together or possibly, you know, peers on some level that we are friends and we think the same way. Right. Can we we stop that? Can we just stop making assumptions that because you and I are both black women or because this person and I are both people of color or because we're both yoga teachers that we all think the same way and we have all had the same experience. Can we just stop? Right. Can we stop making right. that assumption? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what stereotypes are built on. Right. And it's, and it doesn't, it's not helpful because it's then not helpful. you come into a point where you're like, I want to talk about my feelings on this. And they're like, wait, what? I thought we thought the same. And it's like, we have totally different 
life experiences. Like I had a whole life before I was a yoga teacher or a whole life before we were friends. You know what I'm saying? Like we're going to have different, different opinions on things. So I would like to ask for people to just stop making assumptions, like lead with the question, how are you feeling about this today? How do you feel about this situation? You know, before making an assumption uh, about anything. And then yeah. if you don't get the answer you are expecting, don't get pissed off about it. Like if you are willing to ask a question, be willing to listen to an answer too. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I would like people to stop um, making comparisons, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like let every situation stand on its own. And it, it, and it's not just like, you know, like, um, I got profiled in a store, I wrote about it and people chimed in. They were either in disbelief and were like, are you sure that that's what they, yeah, I'm sure that they were refolding the Hermes scarf. That was like, yes, I'm certain of that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, or I got the, well, you know, I've gone into stores too and I'm white and they follow me around the store too. Well, great for yeah. you. I'm telling about my story. This is what happened to me and this is how it made me feel, right? And it happens all the time. Like people try to compare slavery with the Holocaust or with the yeah, comparative, I'm like, comparative the tragedies are the tragedies. Let them yeah. stand on their own and be the tragedy. We don't need to try to one up a tragedy. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I think, I think if you're doing like comparative <laughs> oppression in order to elevate the world in order to, in order to see, see similarities and to, in order to make historical arguments and psychological arguments, then yeah, the whole comparative tragedy is going to be a thing. Like the black lives matter movement is an of itself. It's a compilation of a bunch of tragedies that are super similar, similar, and they all paint the picture of what life is like for black people in America. And, and so, and that's, that's a way to use comparative tragedy to right. actually advance something, but being like, well, I understand how you feel because my grandma, you know, used to have to, um, uh, walk to school and, um, because she couldn't catch the bus because she was native American and we lived in Oklahoma. It's like, first of all, that's your grandmother's experience. You're trying to compare right. my lived experience with right. your with your um, experience via storytelling, you know, right. and not to say that your grandmother's experience isn't important. It's 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 to say that each of us get to have our own experience, and you don't have to respond to mine with the story of someone else's. That's all. Correct. That's all. Exactly. That's all. So, That's, all. So That's it. Let's let's go with another stop. Stop asking black people. To speak for the whole black community. <laughs> That's not how we heal. Because that is first of all, black people and, and African-American people and Africans and all black people from the diaspora are not one monolithic community. Correct. We're black. not even the same people. Can we just be clear that we're not we even the same the people? Same. We don't all speak like, the same languages. We have Africa has like a gajillion languages and a gajillion different cultures. And like that is entirely different than say people of color in South America, the tribes. And like, I'm just like, come on, people like we're not even the same people. We have, yes, the same complexion, maybe. But that ain't got nothing to do with us being the same people. 
we have similar stories. And I feel as a woman whose family is from Louisiana, I feel very, very close to the, to the history of the people from Bahia, Brazil. I know that we have similar stories and similar backgrounds and similar religion that was, you know, that uh, history and all those things and similar foods and all those things. And I know that we're connected and we still have totally different histories. So we can't speak to the whole community as one monolith, as opposed to saying, look, we have a shared experience. I mean, if we look at like Cuba or the Caribbean, um, uh, Louisiana folks, the Gullah, the people from Gullah Island and, uh, you know, in, uh, in South Carolina, and we look at people from the Caribbean coast of Latin America, including Brazil, then yes, we have a shared history. We have shared food. We have uh, shared religions that in the North America were beat out of us, but in other areas they <laughs> keep. Um, we have those things and those similarities are important to create um, diaspora, um, uh, power, you know what I mean? To like, mm-hmm. to, to be cultural to connection. Connect. Yes. Those cultural connections and those, that, that sense, that sense of community across borders is really important, but to sit there and just call Africans, um, mm-hmm. like Africans and not like West Africans or like Kenyans and like, mm-hmm. like there's a big damn difference between Moroccans and Zulu people of South Africa, or you know, people, black people from the South versus black people from the Northeast. Like mm-hmm. we all have different things going on or black Latinos who have a whole other set of complicated issues versus black North Americans who are just still mm-hmm. trying to deal with the effects of Jim Crow and, um, and, 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 and all of that. Like, they're trying to still like black Brazilians are still just trying to live in a post-colonial era. Whereas like black Americans are trying to live in a post Jim Crow era. So it's mm-hmm. like, they're just, they're just different things. Like let's just stop calling things by a monolithic term. It's really right. annoying. And I think that um, we don't get anywhere when, when we do that. Right. Do you have another that you'd like to ask people to stop or start? I do. And this is for my people. Um, so to my peeps, I'm going to ask you to stop being impatient with genuine white people who are trying to understand. Like, we cannot have it both ways. You cannot be like, I want an ally and I want someone who understands and I want somebody or who somebody who can sympathize Um And then when they ask you about your hair care routine, now white people don't touch my hair, but um, (laughs) really nobody touched my hair unless your name is Roz and you are my stylist. Um, (laughs) Don't touch my hair. I've literally Um, never touched your hair and I see you a lot. So yeah. I know. Right. But you can't, you can't be mad at somebody for like, I hear so many black people that I know say, and I don't even know why she was asking me about like, she's asking or he's asking because he don't know. So take the moment and give them your perspective and make sure you tell them, this is my perspective. (laughs) Yes. Right. Because it's a, it's a moment of education. Yes. And I have to then now speak to dear white people, dear white people, please fucking listen. 
Yes. Like if you ask the question, listen to the answer, which was yeah. the problem for today. A very patient or somewhat patient Tamika turned into a very impatient Tamika very quickly because the person didn't listen. And the person decided to just go into fragility mode of, I don't understand and I need you to help me understand. And I don't understand. And I feel bad about this and I need you to make me feel better. And I'm like, I don't need to make you feel better because George Floyd's death isn't about making you feel better. George Floyd's death is George Floyd's death. Correct. And black people feel very traumatized right now. And what I have no responsibility to you to make you feel better. I can tell right. you my truth so that you can understand the black community a lot more or a little bit more, at least from my perspective. And my perspective is framed from a woman who mm-hmm. was raised in Texas, who was reared in Louisiana, who has a master's degree and is a yoga teacher who left corporate America because corporate America was parasitic. So that's a lot of different lenses through, or a very specific lens rather through which I'm looking that isn't going to be the same perspective as everyone else. And so someone else who is from uh, Alabama, who has always been oppre- lived in oppression, who is, ha- doesn't have the, a, say, a similar education, who doesn't have a similar circumstance, who doesn't have a white freaking wife, who doesn't have like, who isn't bilingual, well, you know, like all these other things who make right. me might give you a different answer. So just listen to the one that I'm giving you and, and listen to others. Like mine isn't going to be the last answer, you know, right. keep doing your work. Like, please, white people, do your work and do your work, multiple people and doing research and teaching your kids better. And, and also like telling them this is wrong and acknowledging when black people call things racist, because it probably is, you know, and maybe it's not, maybe it's that person's like, whatever is there, whatever going on, but at least pause before you decide that it's not racist. I'm just well, and and you can't and unless you're the person in the situation, you can't say whether it is it is not um, or it is right. Like that's for the individuals in the situation. I can look at it and say to me, it looks like he was he was racist or she was racist. And you can look at it and say to me, it doesn't. Right. And that's fine. Yeah. And then that's yeah. kind of it. Because yeah. only the two people are in it yeah, really know about, what the heck is going listening. on. It's just about listening. Right. You've said right. things that I don't agree with. And I haven't been like, well, screw you. I don't agree with you. So I'm not ever talking to you. And it's been like, uh, I don't like what you just said. And I don't like you in the second. And I, I, I still like you, but I'm going to need a minute to take a whole breath. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me take that <laughs> breath for a second. Like, let's not dispose of the breath. Um, but I think, I think one thing that you're saying uh, that I really appreciate is how people of color are complicit in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the, the problems in, our, in, the, in the world and in our country. And so we can't, like, not hold other people of color uh, accountable. Accountable. In this, and we need to have those tough conversations. Like that one, um, this one, like I was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago, or the last episode, the one um, uh, 
social media account that blames everything on white people and colonialism. And I'm like, okay, as a historian, I can absolutely say that we are definitely having a lot of problems because of uh, colonialism. And right. I can also say that if you only relegate our problems to colonialism, we're never actually going to do anything because right. the, then that means that it's something that we, we can't control. That means that this right. is a problem that has no real solution. And the truth is, is that there is a solution. Community is the solution and, and education about like, you know, uh, how other people feel and, and reclaiming the narratives that um, are being told about us. Like that's how we heal reclaiming the things that we feel we've lost and understanding that nothing's ever truly lost. You know, that, that is how we heal by being in community with others, not by, you know, pushing others to the side and, and saying, well, it's all their faults and we're victims. And so we're fucked. And that's where we are. Like, right. that's not, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work either. And also right. when we do have those conversations with people, people who are uh, white people, being able to be patient with their responses. And I will tell you for me personally, I will be patient until I feel like I'm talking to a wall and then I will no longer be patient with you because I don't have, I don't believe in trying to convince other people of my point. I will share my point of view. And if I know that you listen to it, you're honoring it, I'll continue sharing. But if all you want to do is find a way to confirm your own bias, you're going to have to do that somewhere else. That's just not going to happen. So there's that. Yes. I'm, well, and I, you know, well, I'm a little different because I kind of like the, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I will like argue with the five. Yeah, I have no problem. I, if I, me and a five year old can go toe to toe saying yes and no for 20 hours if you'd like, because I'm not going to be tired. I've Gatorade and I'm more than happy to refuel and re energize. Yeah, you're the type of person who would like <laughs> go hard in a basketball game with an eight year old and actually celebrate beating that eight year old's ass. <laughs> I, w I would, you know, hey, you got to learn. You got to learn to take your losses, man. I don't know what to tell you. Um, this, is, this is not a participation award. You don't get a gold medal for just participating in life. Um, don't but, come at eight-year-old. But, but I do think, right, so I agree with you, right, so that I, I, I am, well, I'm two things. I'm usually, I'm highly unoffensible. So like it takes, I don't even know what it takes for me to like walk away from something and be offended. You could be the clan, which I actually used to live next door to one. Um, and that's your belief system, right? That's, that's between you and your creator and whatever else you want to do with your life. Right. So for, for me to, I, I can't carry that offense. Um, and and I also know that um, it takes a lot of energy to change a mind one way or the other, right? It takes a lot of energy. And especially the older that mind is, yeah. um, the more difficult it is to change it, right? So the reason why I'm willing to deal with it a bit more, um, which is one of the reasons why I used to do the talk show the, that I had, um, was to not not to try to get the Democratic Party in line and get them to figure out, because I think that's what all of the the conservatives and Republicans and everybody used to listen to the show, they thought I was just going to go 
bash Obama or go ham on the Democrat. Like, that's not that's not my space. That's they can figure out their own life. They got their own platform and their own DNC party to deal with. I'm going to let them wrangle their own people. What I am here to do, though, is wrangle my people. And why y'all are all off track doing some stuff you ain't supposed to be doing. Libertarians, conservatives, Republicans, like, let's get our life together. Um, and so I think you you have to you have to be patient in that process as because it's and the bible talks about it too right that somebody's going to plant the seed another person will come along and water the seed and then another person will help that seed to grow and take care of it right so for me spending the time even though it may it may seem like they're trying to reaffirm their own bias what you will never be able to say about me is that i didn't equip you with the right information Mm -hmm. and um i wasn't willing to give you facts and evidence to support um, to support another way of thinking about something. Yeah, I think that you definitely are willing to water the seed and I'm willing to plant the seed and somebody else can can do all the other stuff. Um, I think, I mean, hey, but that's what makes the world go round. It is like, I'm not trying to be all things to all people. And I, and and I'm also, for me, it's not even about being offended. It's about saying, I'm going to see if you're willing, I'm going to, I'm going to make a comment to see if you're willing to engage this, this comment is the litmus test to see if you're willing to listen. And if you're not willing to listen, then I'm no longer willing to talk about it. That's where I am. I just don't have the patience. I used to be really argumentative and all those things. And now I just, I'm hashtag I'm busy. Like I just, I don't, I don't have the patience for it. I'm just too busy. I'm, I'm doing other things. Right. Right. I don't think it's about like, you're not, it's about where you want to invest your time. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, it's not like you're not worth the conversation. It's that I am not the person to have that conversation with you right right now. Go get some perspective and then come back to me and let's have a different conversation or whatever. But let's all step away from this because right now you just, I feel like some, you know, sometimes things are just a uh, waste of time. I want to throw in just a couple of things um, from the yoga perspective. Um, while we still have um, uh, some time, because I think that, um, you know, as you know, Natalie, and those of you who've been listening for a while, you know, I'm always down for like coming at things from a, a historical and a yogic perspective. And one of, there are two concepts I really want to just connect to. Um, and one is samskaras, the concept of a samskara. And this is this concept of a mind groove or a memory that is formed um, that then colors the way that we see the world. And, um, you know, in this concept that comes out of this philosophy, uh, every, every lived experience, particularly lived experiences that have, um, every lived experience creates a samskara, but lived experiences that create, that have an emotional response create a deep samskara. So what ends up happening is that, we like, let's say that all my lived experiences are really good, positive, wonderful lived experiences. Then the way that I'm going to see the world is also really good, wonderful, positive things, you know, but if, if, if I've had like one trauma, then, uh, then anything that, that, uh, triggers me, uh, that, that reminds me of that trauma, my hope, my life is going to 
um, somehow be colored by that one trauma. Um, and so I mentioned this because I think it's really important to understand that, you know, the black community is, or uh, communities of color in general have a lot of samskaras around racism, around, you know, I won't attempt to black explain, but like, you know, within, if you Google, uh, Mexican, you know, you, and, and you pull up images, you, you will see like, maybe you see like Mexican food, but you're also going to see lots of images about, uh, of, of immigration, you know, or if you Google um, immigrant, then you see Mexicans and, and, or, or what is framed to be Mexicans again, like Latinos as a monolith instead of like Latinos as a, as a grouping of people from 21 different, you know, Spanish speaking countries. Um, or you'll see, like, if you Google black men, and again, all you have to do is Google the term, put an image. I used to do this with my students. Google the word, put an image, see what you find. And if you Google mm -hmm. black men, then you have images of, like, people going to jail. Um, you have, like, all these, all these things that are around, like, violent things. And if you Google, like, Asian man, then you have all these people in, like, suits and ties or doctors and things like that. This is what imagery is coming up and forming and creating story and narrative around what people believe. And so if you live in the city of Houston, you know, well, I mean, my friends aren't like that, like my friends or whatever, or, you know, just the same as if you Google Mus Muslim, you're going to have a certain set of looks that come up when you Google Muslim. But if you live in the city of Houston, you know that Muslims are Nigerian, are, are Somalian, are Eritrean, are you know, oh, also are, you know, Iranian or Iraqi or, you know, whatever, like you have, we have a lot of different, different, we've got a diversity of, of what Muslim, the, the image that Muslim comes up for us. But if you're living in Idaho, you probably don't have that same experience. And so right. the problem then becomes that, um, these, these experiences that have created samskaras for communities of color are also creating um, narrative for those other, for the communities that are not communities of color. And so when these two things marry, you have this, this negative event, and then you have the stereotypical narrative that come together, then there's a lot of, you know, there's a big clash in that because, uh, you know, you have the community of color saying, oh, well, we knew we couldn't trust the police. And then you have, you know, the other community in Idaho saying, well, but black people are criminals because that's mm -hmm. what, what's created. That's the image that's created. So one of the things I think we can do to step into healing, uh, the question from R Rochelle is, is that the same as racial bias? Um, I think it is partial race. I think uh, the, um, Yes, I think it is partially racial. I think it is obviously um, also not obviously, but I think it is racial bias. But it's also narrative creation, and it's it's the what um, uh, um, um, uh, Chima. Oh my gosh, Ndichie, um, what she calls the the narrative or the single story narrative of like all black people are this, or all white people are this, or all Latinos are this, or all Asians are this. And that, that single story that's created through imagery, through movies, through all those things, um, that becomes racial bias. And mm -hmm. it also then becomes 
uh, part of of the community's identity because it taps into these samskaras of watching black and brown people getting shot or killed or arrested or whatever, because we're also seeing those same images. So I, th- I think we, we need to just consider that these are many traumas. And so they actually are forming the way that black and brown people view the world. You know, it's forming our whole construct of what relationship with police are like. And, you know, this is why, like, my my brother, who's, you know, six feet tall, a heavy set guy, you know, is going to have a very different response when a black man, I mean, I'm sorry, when a police officer stops him versus when I get stopped by a cop, because I don't, I haven't seen those same images of black women per se. I mean, Sandra Bland, of course, but not, but obviously not to the same level as black men. So I don't have that same samskara formed, but that cop does, you know, from the black man um, aspect of it. And I'm not quite sure that I'm articulating myself well, but I hope that what people are understanding is that those, those images that are being created are, they represent the samskara means that they represent an actual lived experience for us, even though it's not lived directly or personally, it still represents a lived experience for us. And it creates this mind groove that then tells us where to feel safe. Um, and, and that is, that's, that's an important um, thing I think for us to recognize so that when we are in conversations with other people, we can start from the, an understanding that there's a, there's a safety question, you know, when black people right. are in certain groups, like we actually don't feel safe in certain situations or in certain places or certain cities or states. Yeah, <laughs> right. Whole state. Whole state. <laughs> I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll be like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I don't good. care what kind of food y'all got over there. Yeah. I'm like, I'm skipping Tennessee. I'm skipping <laughs> I'm skipping Alabama. <laughs> I'm just going to skip it. Like it's not for me. Um, I wanted to mention one other thing. And this is, um, and Natalie, I know you and I have talked about this. And this is another point of yogic philosophy, which is about the creation of facts or how we create knowledge. And um, according to yoga philosophy, we create knowledge through um, what we see what we infer and also what we, what we, what we um, learn from other people. And so it's important for us to understand that we're using all three of those methods to create meaning facts at any given time. We're using what we read or what we see, what we personally experience, and then the stories of others to create facts and to create knowledge. And this is this means that we have to be getting those sources from different areas, otherwise we're living in an echo chamber. So this is this is another concept that comes from yoga philosophy that suggests that we need to look for people who are completely outside of our experience to get a better perspective. And we need to keep reading and we need to keep um understanding that our experience isn't the only experience in order to actually understand the world that we live in. Yeah. 
Um, so that is um, just a little bit of how we can step into what's what we can do from here from the perspective of yoga, read better things, talk to more people and understand that our experience is only one third of the true story, you know, and, and talk to more people, even if it makes you uncomfortable, especially because if it we makes have, you especially because we seem to have created a culture of comfort. Like if something doesn't make me happy, like everybody posts these things about, if it doesn't make you happy, then whatever, get rid of it. Or if they, if somebody has stolen your joy, then get rid of, I'm like, y'all, yeah. like you're going to be the got rid of everybody in your whole life in about five minutes. Like, yeah. well, I mean, I, I mean, I I'm not saying it should be at a the continuous. Age of 46, I can say that the circle is small, but I will say, <laughs> But the circle I, is small, but the op the openness to experience yes. is different, right? I'm not saying that these should be your best friends and that yeah. you should travel with them and but go be to willing the to hear. But be, be willing to, to hear, hear grab yeah. a cup of coffee with somebody who has a completely different vantage point of life than you do. And be okay with the fact that you may never agree with that person at all. Um if I would, and that's if fine. I if I wouldn't have done that, you and I would have never, we would have never gotten to where we are because I could have just said, oh, well, she thinks differently than me. Right. But I'm like, oh, she thinks differently than me. Right. And, just like, and, and then what we've learned is we agree on most things. The, the way that we, that we approach things are different. And I think that that's right. so healing. But that's most of the world. That's most of the world. Like, I think most of the world agrees on the big picture thing. How yes. you execute against it is different for everybody, right? But I think if yes. you ask a gajillion people, should five-year-olds die in the street? Most people are going to say, no, I think we should do something to save the five-year-olds. Now, right. how we go about saving the five-year-olds may be very different. But we can agree and, that five-year-olds shouldn't have to die in the streets. Right. And if the person says, well, I mean, some five-year-olds will die in the street, then that's when it's like, oh, okay, now you are definitely going to be outside of my world. Like that, like, right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's fine. Um, I want to give one more um, ask from people. And um, this one is for everybody. Stop gaslighting. Stop gaslighting. Like, yeah. stop listening to a person tell you how they feel and then make them feel like they're crazy for feeling it. Stop. Right. Right. It's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. It's not how we're all going to learn and, and get and get and go toward healing. And to that end, the second part of that is for every single person listening for for everyone who said anything, Michelle, Katie, Alex, uh, Irene, Shars, everyone who's on right now, everyone listening, may we all start creating spaces for various perspectives. You know, we just can't, like if we keep just saying all X are evil and all X are whatever, we will never actually like understand each other because while we're asking for, institutions that are that have have had historical that were have been historically racist while we're asking for them to change for those of us who aren't willing to become a part of those institutions like we're not willing to become the attorney or the senator or the president or the governor or whatever then how we can transform 
our world is through creating spaces for discourse, which isn't going to happen when we're saying this entire swath of people is crazy. Like we, it's just not going to happen. So we, I think for us, healing is going to have to come by, it's going to have to happen by looking at other people and seeing a human. If I look at a Republican and I just see a racist person and my whole, everything is framed from, Oh, Republican racist. Then that means that I will not be in community with like part of my in-laws. That means that I can't be in community with half of Texas. That means I can't be in community (laughs) with like a third of the country. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't be, that's a lot of people who I immediately exclude. So I think part of what we need to do too, and I know this is hard to hear for those of us who are feeling really hurt and really attacked is that we can't actually see, you know, white people as the problem or Trump as the problem or the GOP is the problem, or we, we, we just can't, we have to see lack of community, lack of conversation and lack of humanity as the problem. And that's going to, that's going to be, that's going and, 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 and a big, and we also have to call out bullshit when we see it. That's what I was going to say. Like you, like, it's not enough. It's not enough. And this was my ask of all the white people that I know. <laughs> like, I was just like, it's not enough for you to be neighborly. It's not yeah. enough for us to have a barbecue together um, yeah. or to once a month have a community event. And, you know, you come over, we share a bottle of wine, you know, I don't drink, whatever the case may be. Right. That's not that's not enough. Like, I I need you to stand in for someone who. Yeah is being unseen and violated at that moment in time when you have influence in that space. That Mm -hmm. is what matters to me. Like I need you to be someone's advocate, be the person who says, I think you've mistreated. So, and it, matter of fact, it just happened to me the other day in in the phone store. Like I, I, there, and and it had nothing to do with race. It had everything. I had to like stop and give somebody a a manager a coaching moment. Like there was some confusion around the phone that they had given my husband. We went back to the store. The manager comes out and he's and he tells the sales associate, he's like, "Did you pull this phone?" And the and and the, the his tone was so angry and oh I'm like oh my god like I know your store might get dinged for $1,500 because you got to restock it and you can't sell it again but like can you not make everybody in here feel uncomfortable because you don't know how to manage your team and he goes on and on about who grabbed the phone and was it so and so and 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 so at the end of the transaction when I'm walking out I see the manager and I'm like I really hope that you will stand up and be a leader and not hold someone accountable, whether it's financially or with their job or with being made to feel uncomfortable for a simple mistake that was made. I'm good with you using it as a teachable moment about being focused on what we need to do to deliver to our customer experience, but I'm not good with you coming into a space and making everybody feel like somebody's about to get fired over a $1,500 Samsung 20. 
Like that is yeah. completely inappropriate as a leader and you're a manager. So you're a leader. And he was like, no, 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 no. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks and make sure all these people still employed. Yeah. Yeah. I think just speaking up for, for the other and sometimes, and sometimes I actually think that, um, and I think, I think it's, it's actually kind of hard right now too, because the minute like white people try to speak up for black people is considered black white splaining or, right. you know, you know, that's a, that's another thing. And, um, and so I think that that's, that's not necessarily helpful. Um, but what I do think, um, a person can do is start when we're talking about creating those safe spaces, um, for people to, to speak their truth and things like that. And for healing to actually happen, then sometimes it's about spreading other people's voices, other people's narrative, other people, like people of color, like holding space for, um, utilizing your privilege to hold space for other people, um, who, who can't speak in that moment or who can't enter that space in that moment or who cannot, um, who can't speak like us speaking for George Floyd is speaking for someone who can't speak. That is the privilege of being alive. Right. Right. Um, me having this platform is the privilege of having a platform and being able to speak to a, a varied audience that, that hopefully does something to create change. But what I, what I, I think what I was, um, one thing I want to ensure that I'm clear about is that we can't create those same spaces um, and, and, and actually um, have those honest discourses and actually uh, step into healing if we're just calling everyone a problem. Like if we have right. to actually um, be able to come into a space where we can actually have a conversation and we can't do it if we're starting from anger, we have to actually do it from a place of, of, of introspection. And, right. and if we do that, then we can have those, those conversations in that discourse. So, um, so yeah, I hope that we will do that. I know that we're coming to the end of our, um, of, of our conversation. Um, I guess I just am hoping that we, you know, if you are not a black person and you're listening to this, um, you know, sharing, you know, a, a quote, if you don't know what to say, perhaps spread the quote from, you know, a, a quote from James Baldwin or share a quote from, um, uh, from Maya or like share somebody else's words right now. That for me is really, really, uh, beautiful when I see people who are not black sharing black people's words to speak to the community instead of, um, just like speaking again, because I think that, um, a lot of space has been occupied by white voices. And so the more that, um, white people actually use their, their spaces to occupy with black voices is actually a really beautiful way of empowering the black community. Um, and that's just my opinion. It doesn't have to be anyone else's, but I, for sure, I think that it's very beautiful when people do that. Um, and, and to just ask, uh, your friends, you know, are they, they okay? You know, I got that, that, that message from two different people today. And I was, I thought that was beautiful because nobody had asked me that, you know what I mean? And, yeah. um, and so that was, that was beautiful. Like, are you okay? And do you want to talk about this? 
And, and, and um, I'm, and sometimes, and sometimes you don't even need, if you don't know what to say as Stumper's mom would say, then don't say anything at all. Right. Like, <laughs> like sometimes that's a good thing. I don't know why I keep referring back to Thumper's mom. Clearly I she had a very Thumper's big influence mom. on me, um, but like, then don't say anything at all. And maybe your post is just that, that you don't have any words, but this is a space for you to, for, for people to come to, to express themselves and the hurt or the pain or the confusion or whatever that they are feeling at this moment. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's and, like when somebody and, dies, you yeah. don't always have words for the person you don't have who, any go, words who lost person. their, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have no, there are no words for that person no in that situation. And so sometimes it's just whatever it is that they need, you just need to hold the space for them to get out whatever it is they need to get out. Yeah. And I think it's that those words of, I love you. Uh, I'm sorry that this is happening. Um, how yeah. may I hold space for you or how may I, how may I help? Right. Is, is there something that you would have me do or whatever? Like those words are just so powerful and they're the way that we, we step into healing because as Irene mentioned earlier, like some we're, we're like, we're pissed, we're hurt. We feel under attack. At least I know she and I do. Um, and, um, <laughs> and, and we're, we're tired. We're tired. Like there's, there's a, there's PTSD, you know, um, involved in, in, in our communities that, that are constantly being, um, under attack for just being black, you know, or just being, Mm -hmm. just being, um, Muslim or just being gay or just being whatever, like whatever is the case may be, whatever is the reason for society's othering or xenophobia, you know, of that particular community, um, you know, I think that the path forward is community that's, that's honest and authentic and a a space where people can actually move forward together. And there's that, you know, that concept of Ubuntu of I am because we are, you know, like understanding that, you know, somehow, South Africa was able to come up with this, you know, um, this, this, you know, and, and all of their horrible history with, with, as um, Trevor Noah called beautiful, perfect racism. They were able to Mm. like, this word came up as, as one that came up um, out of the, the anti-apartheid movements of Ubuntu. I am because we are like, we all move forward together or we all, die together and maybe it's spiritual death, maybe it's emotional death, maybe it's, it's physical death, but we all move forward together, hopefully. And may we all create these, these spaces that, that are in which we're seeing and we're seeing other people and we're loving and other people and feeling love from other people. And we're affirming other people and feeling affirmed by other people. I truly believe that that is the path to healing. And then at the same time, we send people into those, into the, the institutions and we start making change from within. I think that without both those things, we're screwed. And I think that we end up just coming back over and over again to the same thing that we've been in for a really long time. So the question I think to end on is, do we truly want change? If we want change, it's going to take it from everybody. It's going to take us working on those 
re resolving those samskaras, not seeing everything from the lens of the past, but also being able to see things for hope for the future and being able to be in true community with one another. So that's, um, those are my final thoughts. Natalie, do you have any? Um, I guess, I guess my whole thing would be the, to me, the, one of the most important things I know, you know, from the yoga perspective, community is a big thing. And I will say that, uh, if you cannot get to community and you cannot get to where everybody is holding hands and singing Kumbaya and loving everybody and affirming everybody, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. Just be respectful. Right. Like yeah. I'm not saying that you have to, I'm not asking you to love me. I'm not asking you to love me. I'm not asking you to affirm me. I'm not asking you um, to do anything for me. Mm -hmm. I'm just asking you to respect me that mm -hmm. I am a human being. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. So yeah. don't, there's no need to unnecessarily kill me. There's no need to, yeah to think that I won't bleed when you cut me. There's no need to think that when I give birth in a hospital that I should not get the same kind of attention, right? So I am just asking for the to be the same, to yeah. have this, to be the same, have the same acceptance. You don't have to love me or, you know, want to cheer for me or anything, right? Yeah. Respect me and, and give me the equal part of that, mm -hmm. right? So even if we're going to be separate, let's be equal. That's, that's what, that's all, that's all I need in my life for me. Right. So that's for me. Right. So if we can't get to the Kumbaya, cool. But in that, we'll, we'll get the respect love me as a human being. We, we will get the love and the affirmations from our communities and correct our circle and all that. But yeah, let's get to the point where we just see each other as human. And I think right. that the work is, is, on, uh, is, is amongst the oppressed and the oppressor. I think yes. that the, the work of being able to see people as human and individualistic and not asking people to rally around fear or hatred to right. create community around fear or hatred. I think that that is the harder work for the oppressed yeah. communities to not ask people to rally around hatred is our work. Yeah. And for the oppressive communities to not rally around fear is their work. But right. I think that, all, each of us, we all have our work to see each other as human. Yes. And, and from, and, and, you know, I will, you know, go down into the grave saying that for me, yeah. that humanity is cultivated through community because you can't hate people up close. And, you know, I will go ahead and quote Brene Brown on that one, even though y'all know I don't have all the love Show. that everyone else has for her, <laughs> but I will quote that you can't hate people up close. You can't because you just, you're like, damn, like you're challenging some assumptions that I had and I can't hate you because I know you now. So yeah, we'll leave all the cheerleading and all that for people who truly care about us, but right. like, may we all see each other as human. You know what yes. I'm saying? Like, yes, please. Yeah, like that's the, that's the lowest standard that I have. Yes. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the bar. Can we all that's just the be bar. Human? Can we all just be yeah. human? Yeah. Oh, I think that is it for us today. I know this is a long one. And I appreciate all of you who have joined in um, either in our live um, feed or, um, or, and of course, Natalie, 
Um, Natalie is spitting knowledge every day on her through her blog and through her uh, social media, which is always, always Natalie or hash, um, on Instagram is at Narsino with an X. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, also Natalie and I have our endeavor of coffee conversations and cleaning where we can talk about difficult things but over coffee and there's always laughter and we usually um, have some disagreements and, uh, and we come together. And then also there is so much more that's happening in terms of creating community and coming together uh, that's happening at Ashe Yoga. Uh, dot com and uh, and through the 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 ranch Houston, which is located in Houston, Texas. But um, love and and YouTube are sending things worldwide. So um, thank you so much for um, you guys tuning in with us out to to into this show. And I hope you'll come back in two weeks where we'll talk about something else that um, hopefully will I don't know make your day a little your day a little brighter. It's always my goal to leave uh, leave you better than I found you, and I hope that happened for you guys today. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs>